The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Play clock at one. Snap comes for George. Moves right, throws back to the left, and it's intercepted. Returning it down the sideline is Brandon Snyder. He's gonna go on his first game back. The folks at Iowa saying, welcome back, Brandon Snyder. We're glad yeah. to have you. Second interception that Jeff George has thrown in this game. This one, the more costly of the two. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' win over Illinois and previews this week's Iowa Northwestern game. We also have a special guest this week, Land of Ten's Bobby Lajess, who updates us on Iowa recruiting. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald, plus some talk from Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley and place kicker Miguel Racinos. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of LandOf10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chemeland and Jack Bransgar. Game highlights are courtesy of BTN with announcers Brandon Gowden and Glenn Mason. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Off play action, Stanley sets, fires, and completes it. Matt Vandenberg into the end zone for a Hawkeye touchdown. 39-yard completion, Stanley to Vandenberg, and Iowa opens it up to a two-score game. Over 120 career receptions for number 89 in an Iowa jersey. There was nobody behind him once he caught it. He did the rest. His longest reception since 2015. Hawkeye's mic programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. The Iowa Hawkeyes coming off their bye week are 4-2 and two overall and 1-2 and two in the Big Ten. They travel to Northwestern in a Big Ten West Division game at Ryan Field in Evanston on Saturday. The Wildcats are 3-3 three and three overall and 1-2 and two in conference play. This is almost certainly an elimination game in the West. Whoever loses will be sitting with three conference losses with just five games left in the regular season. The Hawkeyes are coming off their bye week and have defeated Wyoming, Iowa State, North Texas, and Illinois while losing at home to Penn State and on the road at Michigan State. Northwestern has defeated Nevada and Bowling Green in Evanston and Maryland on the road while losing to Penn State at Ryan Field and Wisconsin in Madison. The Wildcats won 37-21 on the road last Saturday at Maryland. Northwestern spoiled Iowa's homecoming last year at Kinnick Stadium in a come-from-behind 38-31 victory. The Hawkeyes lead this series 50-25-3, including 20 
25-15 and 3 in Evanston. Iowa had won three straight until last year's loss. The Wildcats are 11-9 versus Iowa since 1995. This series has become perhaps the most intense and typically hard-fought game apart from the Hawkeyes' four annual trophy contests. Kirk Ferentz is the Dean of College Football Coaches in his 19th year at Iowa, where his overall record is 139-94. He ranks sixth all-time in the Big Ten and is now just four wins shy of tying Hayden Fry as Iowa's all-time winningest head football coach. Coming out of bye weeks, Ferentz coached teams are just 8-8 eight and eight overall, including just 2-7 and seven on the road. Pat Fitzgerald is the second-longest tenured coach in the Big Ten and is 80-65 and 65 in his 12th year at Northwestern, which is also his alma mater. Fitzgerald's record against the Hawkeyes is 6-5. and five. Three key questions going into this game. How much progress, both offensively and defensively, will Iowa show coming out of its bye week, especially in running the ball and stopping the run? Will either of these two teams get off to a fast start in this game, which could be the key to determining the winner since both teams have been plagued by slow starts all season? And can Iowa take advantage of Northwestern's turnover problems? They sit at minus six. And finally, get in the plus column in turnover margin. Iowa so far, 11 takeaways versus 11 giveaways. They're at zero. In game notes, the Iowa Northwestern game is an 11 a.m. kickoff and will be televised by ESPN2 with announcers Jason Bonetti and Kelly Stouffer. As usual, it will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak. It will also be available on Satellite Radio XM Channel 195 and Sirius Channel 135. Iowa's depth chart looks much like it did for the Illinois game. True freshman Ryan Gersandi is now listed as the starting punter. Strong safety has an or between Amani Hooker and Miles Taylor. True freshman Tristan Wirfs is the starting right tackle, while redshirt freshman Alaric Jackson continues as the starting left tackle. Ferentz said this week that defensive back Manny Ragamba and offensive lineman Boone Myers remain questionable for this game. Iowa did get one important piece of good news on the injury front this week. Running back James Butler has returned to practice and has been cleared to play after suffering an elbow injury in the North Texas game. Ferentz said Butler would not play at Northwestern, but may return in time for the Minnesota game on the following Saturday. And coming out of the Illinois game, our Prefense Defensive Player of the Week, well, of course that has to be safety Brandon Snyder, an amazing six-month recovery from his ACL injury in the spring, an 89-yard pick six, inspired and inspiring play the entire game. Prefence hand sanitizer and surface protectant, remember, the best defense is Prefence. The TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal Coach of the Week, Kirk Ferentz. Or to be more precise, New Kirk. A fake punt, an onside kick, excellent halftime adjustments, fourth win of the season. History tells us his teams play their best as October and November unfold. That needs to happen again this season because the November part of the schedule, wow, it's a bear. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and building safe since 1962. All part of God's great plan. Touchdown scamper. They took it right and accounted for Illinois overflowing to the tailback, and he just cuts it and takes it backside. Wadley went over 100 yards on the ground with that last carry. He had a receiving touchdown. Now he's got one on the ground as well. (laughs) 
Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who gives his mid-season assessment of his Hawkeyes. I think really, uh, just in a nutshell, if you look back at the first part of the season, uh, first half of the season, we come out with a 4-2 and record. I think overall we made strides as a football team. A couple things we knew going into the season, we knew our veteran guys would have to play their best. I think for the most part we've seen that. And certainly a lot of new players are going to have to step up. And uh, we've seen that plus, you know, some additional guys as well maybe that weren't counting on. So uh, I think for the most part, you know, we've done a good job. Uh, we, we've uh, moved forward here a little bit and played good competition. You know, combined, I think the teams that we've played, uh, somebody told me the record's 25 and 11. So, you know, we've played a uh, really competitive schedule and I think overall the uh, teams move forward. You know, as we look forward right now, you know, football and a season really, a team and a season, it's like putting a puzzle together. There are always parts of it that uh, need to be put together and uh, things are always kind of changing. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And, and the big thing right now, I think, is taking what we learned in the first six weeks, certainly the players have learned a lot as coaches we've learned more about what our players are capable of doing and uh, hopefully we can be a little bit smarter moving forward you know take better advantage of the players that we have and try to match up against the people that uh, that we have to play the next six weeks and that's the whole idea is to put yourself in position to win so you know just in a nutshell I think a couple things that we're gonna have to do a little bit better are fairly obvious you know we want to run the ball better do a better job with ball security I think we've done a pretty good job with uh, takeaways certainly uh, we'd like to continue that and if we can add to that perfect you know be a good thing. Limiting explosive plays, big plays defensively. That's certainly uh, paramount and isn't any, any team. And then the biggest thing is just, uh, you know, continued better execution, sharper execution, more consistency. Those are the things that give you a chance to win. And those are the things that keep you from losing. So, you know, really nothing too earth-shaking. That, that's where we're at right now. And now we turn our attention to Northwestern. Ferentz was asked about the defensive pressure Iowa's been able to bring so far this season. You know, it's never as good as you want. You know, the whole thing is about disruption in my mind. You know, if, if you can uh, disrupt, just keep them from sitting back and doing what they want to do at all times. But, you know, a lot of the passing game is kind of like the running game. A lot of the passing game, now it's, it's tough to get quarterback sacks because the ball comes out so quickly and all the, you know, the bubble screens and all that stuff. So, and it's all relative, but in certain circumstances, certainly, yeah, you don't want to let a guy just stand back there and, you know, pick out receivers, that type of thing, and be comfortable. And, you know, if you can make them a little bit edgy, if disrupt the pocket, that type of thing, that's as good, not as good as a sack, but it's, it serves a purpose if you can get that. And, you know, we'll probably never be happy with that either, you know, just like the, the yards per carry. Ferentz talks about the freshman wide receivers who are making an impact through the first six games. Well, yeah, they're all, they're very different, every one of them, you know, at least the three that are playing right now. So uh, they all bring a little different uh, something to the table, if you will. And I think the big thing, the common denominator is they came here and, and it's well documented. I mean, it's a land of opportunity uh, to come here this this uh, August and start camp with us. So, you know, I made reference, you know, we're hardly the, the team we were back in January, certainly not the team in April or August. You know, a big part of that is the receiving game, you know, we, we had a hard time in the spring throwing the football. We expected that. And, uh, you know, the good news is I think we're, we're on the right path right now. We've got the, those three guys are doing a good job. Certainly Nick Easley, a newcomer, is really uh, the best thing he's done, in my opinion, is play playing live football. Not that he wasn't a good practice guy, but in the spring he was just trying to feel his way. And, you know, now you really see him taking off and doing some good things. Matt's back healthy. Plus our, our tight ends are doing a good job in the passing game. So, you know, just the combination of all that has given us a chance to at least throw the ball a little bit and, uh, you know, have a representative pass. 
pass offense. Kirk was asked about what quarterbacks coach Ken O'Keefe has brought to the table, particularly with respect to the development of new starting quarterback Nate Stanley. There's a lot of levels, and that, that's the story of coaching, quite frankly. I mean, it starts with a fundamental understanding and basis. And, you know, I don't care if you're talking about coaches, the best teachers I've been around, the best coaches I've been around. And I'm talking about educators. You know, I'm thinking more high school level because, you know, I never taught at the college level. But the best teachers I've been around, the best coaches at all levels, they really know how to make complex things a little bit more easy to understand. Like, you know, they're not trying to impress you how smart they are. They just try to convey knowledge and information and wisdom to you. And, and, and Ken's got a really, you know, great skill or a great ability to do that. So it starts with that. But that, then beyond that, especially with quarterbacks, it's it's a really hard demanding position. I continue to be amazed how much how much information they have to process and all the things they're responsible for. So, you know, that part of it, uh, you know, getting that information across, but more, more importantly, dealing with the responsibility that a quarterback has to go through. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're working on mind there too, not just sharing information, but you're working on mind and trying to get the guys through the highs and lows. And uh, you can imagine some of the lows that Nate's had, you know, he's had some lows already this, you know, his early in his career in six weeks, but, but it's been really impressive how he's persevered and how he's just, you know, he's got an ability to flush things and move on. And, and a big part of that's Nate, just, you know, the way he's wired, but also I think Ken's helped him a lot that way. And uh, I think Ken just, you know, with our entire staff too. And it's it's really no different than Norm Parker and Carl Jackson. 19 years ago, two guys that were veteran coaches that, you know, had been through all the ups and downs that you go through in coaching to, to have those guys just help uh, with the rest of the staff when things aren't going so well. That, that's really important too. So, you know, Ken, Ken's added an awful lot. We're really happy to have him back here. And Ference was asked about coaching for nearly 20 years in the Iowa Northwestern Series, one that has become even more intense and competitive in recent years. Our league is so different than it was in the 80s in some regards. Some things haven't changed, you know. Ohio State is still Ohio State, and you got to go back, I think, to 1900 to, to you know, get it the other way. So that, that's been pretty constant, but uh, it wasn't a series in the 80s, quite frankly. So, but that the, the league isn't like that anymore. Our league isn't like that, and I can just go right back to 19 years ago. I, don't, I can't remember if it was the last play of the game, but it's, it felt like it, you know, when they ran the option in there for a touchdown, they beat us by one point or whatever, but I remember it went right down to the wire, and it was an option, I believe, to our right, well, the offense is right, I believe, defense is left, and uh, boom, that was it, you know, it was a bad feeling, and, you know, the games have gone back and forth, they've been hard fought, it's been a couple that have gone either way, but for the most part, they've, they've gone right down to the wire, and, you know, I guess uh, for me, my modern day uh, Northwestern experience is Randy Walker, who was a tremendous coach, tremendous person, and, and now you got Pat, uh, who's, you know, a player, a former player, outstanding player at Northwestern. That's his school. Uh, and now he's running the program, the coach and the team. And, you know, he and his staff done a great job. They're very stable. They're very consistent. They just, you know, they're sound. They play hard. Every, everything a football team should do. So, you, you know, we know we're going to have a real challenge in our hand. And, uh, you know, there's been ups and downs, but typically it goes right down to the, you know, last series, last, uh, last play, that type of deal. Next, we hear from Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald, who provides his overall sense of the 2017 version of the Hawkeyes. You know, obviously playing uh, an outstanding football team, Kirk and his staff do a great job. I mean, he's the longest tenured coach in the in the country for a reason. There's consistency, there's toughness, there's physicality, you know, and there's, there's playmakers across the board in all three phases. A lot of consistency when you think about Iowa, a lot of physicality. So you need to have a great week of preparation and the guys need to show up and we need to play a week better. I thought we, you know, improved last week and my hope is 
that we can do it again this week. Fitzgerald was asked about Iowa's defense and the secondary in particular. I just think just overall defensively, I, I think Coach Parker does a great job. He's been there for all 19 years with Kirk and, and um, you know, the last five is the coordinator. They're well orchestrated. They're on the same page. Uh, you have to earn it against Iowa. They don't make mistakes. They don't beat themselves. And, um, you know, we've we've uh, we've had our share of wins and we've had our share of losses. And, and uh, this is going to be every bit as challenging of a, of a, of a game for us this week. Fitzgerald reflects on his own defensive front seven and especially its ability to stop the run after the struggles earlier this year in the loss to Duke. Well, I don't think we were too bad against the run in Duke. It's going back to your comment, stats are for losers. I mean, the, long, the longest rushes of the day were by the quarterback scrambling. You know, we ran out of gas a little bit. We were on the field for over 100 plays. Um, so that was more of a team issue than I think it was just our defensive front seven. You know, I think Hank and the staff do a really good job of understanding what teams are trying to do and maybe then where they'll go. We did not fit everything very well on Saturday. We had some issues uh, that, that we worked hard to correct in the run game. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll make those adjustments and then learn from that. And when they come back up again, I mean, they may not come back up with Iowa because of just schematics on what they run. Uh, and then you got to get back on the horse again and get ready to go against a real physical, you know, offensive line and fullbacks and tight ends at Iowa and get ready to fit their schemes properly. And uh, so, you know, that, that work is in earnest right now, without a doubt. And Fitzgerald talks about Iowa running back Akram Wadley and Big Ten running backs in general. I think he's a great player. I think, again, I mean, this is a running back league. I mean, every week you got to show up and you're playing against a great back. And, you know, now this is four weeks in a row that we've seen great backs. And I don't think it's going to stop next week. <laughs> you know, I'll worry about that on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we got our hands full. There's no doubt. I mean, he's, he's a great player and he's a threat in a passing game big time, big time. I mean, he's a great player. He's a great player. I mean, I, I think he probably gets overshadowed a little bit because of the other. I mean, you got a Heisman Trophy candidate at Penn State. You know, you got a freshman who's doing all kinds of awesome stuff at, at Wisconsin. You know, JJ, I mean, it's, I keep going, Johnson at Maryland. I mean, it's Scott at Michigan State. There's a lot of great players. I'm not, I went in and play Ohio State or Michigan. Jeez, it's a heck of a, heck of a league right now with learning backs. Play action. George for the end zone. Intercepted. Amani Hooker, the sophomore from Minneapolis, jumps to grab it. His first pick of the season, and Illinois' drive is snuffed out. This week, we also hear from Iowa players. First, Tyler Chemelin talks with place kicker Miguel Racinos about the new Nike football being used by the Hawkeyes this season, a fact first brought to light two weeks ago by our new Hawkeyes Mike Regular and former Iowa punter Ron Galuzzi. Well, to be fair, like all the balls that you see, you know, because there's the, the Adidas make, like the rifle, right. and then the, there's the Vapor Elite and the Vapor One, which is one we switched to. They are different. I mean, it does take some getting used to, which is something people don't really think about. If the specialists had their way, I think we'd be using the Duke, the NFL ball, because that one which has a massive sweet spot. But no, I know Ron was always very particular about the type of balls he was using. But no, I mean, he was definitely right. It's different. You know, it's it takes some getting used to. I remember when we were introduced to them halfway during camp and we were all like, God, I wish we would have had these earlier to get used to them. But, you know, um, it was, you know, we made the adjustment. So quarterback picks it, right? So it's a Beathard to Stanley um, thing. Is that kind of the. I'm not really, you know, honestly, I don't actually know. You just know a new ball showed up. Yeah, basically, that's basically what happened. We got, uh, we were talking to 
Greg, just uh, our equipment manager, and he mentioned something like, oh, new balls, and we're like, really? New, new balls? He's like, yeah, they'll be in tomorrow. We're like, okay, and then that was that was it. So I guess they, you know, they saw fit to uh, identify us a little later, but that's, that's all right. And next, we finally get the mystery solved. Why did Iowa switch Nike footballs? Jack Bransgard gets the answer from quarterback Nate Stanley. Yeah, it's a, it's a different ball. Who made that decision? Was it you and the quarterbacks? Or? Yeah, I think in the offseason, we uh, we tried out some, some different balls, you know, some balls that we thought would be better all-purpose balls. So, uh, you know, we threw with them in the offseason, and, you know, we, we like the ones that we're using now, we like the best. Is that just like a grip thing, or is that better grip, or what? Yeah, you know, that's that's a big thing, just being able to grip it, you know, if, if your hands are sweaty or uh, if it's wet outside. So. And also, too, the way, like, it just feels when you throw it, the, the balls that we're using right now, like I said, were, were the ones that we felt the most comfortable with in the offseason. If they want to run the football here, that's an option. But they're going to pass it. They go back to Wadley. Touchdown, Iowa. Akron Wadley coming into the game. Their leader in receiving yards and rushing yards. He can do it all. And that time, it's the reception into the end zone. Every drive for Iowa, they have gotten into the red zone. Several have stalled out. Not that time. 75 yards, they went in 2 minutes and 41 seconds. And the youngsters over at the Stead Family Children's Hospital enjoying the view. We have a special guest in this week's podcast, Land of Tens, Bobby LeJess, who updates us on Iowa football recruiting. You can read Bobby's articles at landoften.com, and you can follow Bobby on Twitter at Bobby LeJess. Bobby, for the first time, we have an early signing period for football recruiting. It's in December. Should have a major impact, a positive impact, you'd think, for Iowa's football team. Let's talk a little bit about both this year's recruiting class and what's on the horizon in 2019, as there are some commitments in both of those classes already. Some of the sites that follow recruiting very carefully are saying Iowa's lagging behind, unusually far behind compared to previous years, but they still have time with the December signing period. So let's start right off the bat and just talk about what so far the commitments they have in 2018 and the key offers they have outstanding. Yeah, in 2018, Iowa has 13 commitments. And for the most part, they've been stuck in the low double, er, sorry, yeah, low double digits um, for a long time since the end of the summer. I think the last guy, they had a couple commits at the end of August, early September in defensive backs, Julius Brents and Donald Johnson. But this is where they've been and this is where they are. They've got a, the majority of the class in. I'd imagine it'd be 18, maybe 19 guys by the time it's said done. The biggest spots where they can still add some people, if you're looking at probably is quarterback and we'll get into some of the issues there because that extends to why people uh, might have some problems with the class at the moment. And also linebacker. They're losing four scholarship linebackers this year. They only have one player who's committed. They'll probably add another one or two players at that spot. But the issue with quarterback is everybody Iowa throw offers out to is off the board. There's no one that they're actively recruiting with an offer. And so this is where Iowa kind of sits with a lot of guys right now in 2018 is a lot of the players that they went after have already made decisions for the most part. And so now they're stuck trying to have having to regroup at quarterback a little bit. And it's that way in a lot of other positions. Now, one guy that they're in on who hasn't committed anywhere, who would argue would probably, probably be the best guy in the class is defensive end. 
John Wagner from Dowling Catholic in West Des Moines is, is, is in a different group. He's somebody they're still after. He's the best player they're after. This kid has national interests from programs across the country. So I was kind of considered the front runner there, but nobody's certain if they'll, if they'll land him or not. But most of the people Iowa kind of went after early in this recruiting period have already committed to them, or it looks like are going elsewhere or have already committed elsewhere. Now, supposedly Wagoner was set to announce his choice back in July, then he delayed that. Is that a positive thing for Iowa? Is he just looking around more maybe than they anticipated and not quite ready to pull the trigger? I think it's good for Iowa from the standpoint of if the kid would have made a decision like he, his original timeline was before he started his senior football season, he might have backed out of it because he said he wasn't ready. He didn't know where it was going to go. And for a kid to realize that and admit that's a very good thing because then that means when he makes his decision, he will feel he's 100% ready to go whatever to whatever institution that is, whether it's Iowa or elsewhere. And if you're Iowa, it's fine. You would have liked to have had him locked up earlier. You'd like that with anybody who's a four-star potential difference maker on your defensive line. But you have to respect the kid's process and know that he still wants to look at school, still wants to see things. He hasn't said when his new time frame will be. If he will announce, I'm going to, hey, do this by the end of November or the end of my football season, or he may just announce where he's going randomly. But I think if you're Iowa, you have to like the fact that the kid's taking his time to look over all the options and weigh all his options. And that's what the coaching staff tells every recruit to do. They say, go visit other programs, go see what Minnesota may have or what Iowa State may have or anyone else regionally, or if your offers are nationally, the same thing, because they're confident that the kid will come back to them. And so I think if you're Iowa, I don't think you're overly concerned about it, but it's something you have to keep an eye on simply because you don't want to let him get away. Whereas if during this time frame where he's now reevaluating things, somebody else kind of jumps to the forefront, that's where he ends up going. Bobby, you mentioned the fact that they don't have any quarterbacks yet. They have just one linebacker. They do have some folks that they are apparently recruiting as wide receivers, but there's none listed on most of the recruiting sites. No, they actually have a couple wide receivers in the class. Um, They just are not listed anywhere as wide receivers. One of them is Tyrone Tracy out of Indianapolis, who, depending on the site you look at, is either listed as a running back or an athlete. He's 6'1", 185. They also have Samson Evans out of Illinois, who is also listed as an athlete across most recruiting services. He's 5'11", 200 pounds. Both are smaller guys. They're quick. They're kind of jitterbugs. Evans plays quarterback in high school. They both kind of fall under what I would call the Riley McCarron and Nick Easley kind of mold of a players. You want to just get them the ball in space. They may not necessarily be a guy who's going to run around 30 yards down the field, and that's your first option to get it to him. You just want to get him the ball. It might be a seven-yard crossing route. It might be on a reverse. It might be something like that. They're actually sitting pretty decent at wide receiver. They'll probably add one more to it, and it'll probably be somebody who has a little bit more size, somebody more along the lines of a Brandon Smith, who's somebody you might want to look at as a downfield threat or or somebody you could throw to in the red zone area. Well, they also had a bunch of wide receivers in the last class too, so maybe that's impacted that some. Uh, a little bit. It was a it was a positional need last year, and so that's why you saw them going after as many as they did. I think one other thing is they're looking to change a little bit the offense from what it was to what it is now with 
Brian Ferentz as the offensive coordinator. And I think bringing in two of these guys who are a little bit smaller, look to be more along the lines of guys you could play in the slot, indicates that they're not going to be afraid to run more three receiver sets or sets where they have one of their wide receivers lining up in the slot. And that kind of player that they've added with Tracy and Evans, they don't have too many of those on the roster. You have easily. And right now, that's kind of about it. So they could use a couple of those guys too. And yeah, they're not bringing in a whole bunch of guys like Amir Smith-Marset or Max Cooper or Brandon, who are some of your bigger guys who you look at as your downfield threats in this class. That They'll probably be limited to one of those guys in this class. The other thing that's interesting about this class so far are where these is where these players are coming from. The last couple of years, Iowa's brought in a number of kids from Texas. Uh, the, of course, Iowa's always led in that regard. And then Illinois, they get a lot of players from Illinois. I know you wrote an article about that in the last couple of weeks for Land of Ten. This year, all of a sudden, they're getting commitments from Indiana that you haven't seen before in quite that number. And there's nobody from Texas so far in the list. There are some folks, they got a lot of offers out, at least, that I last saw to Florida still. Um, but the Indiana success is pretty interesting. It is. It's new territory for them, and it's something Kelvin Bell has been working on for them as they try to just kind of strengthen the Midwest for them a little bit. And it's worked really well in this class with players. They have, I believe, four players who are from there. Anthony Torres is a tight end. I already mentioned Tracy at wide receiver. And they have two defensive backs in Donald Johnson and Julius Brents. And they also have, in 2019, Larry Tracy, who's the cousin of Tyrone Tracy. So they've been able to have some quick success in there with some programs, which is kind of interesting for them. But what Iowa does, especially because it offers early, is they try to look around the Midwest where they're recruiting hotbeds like Florida on what used to be Texas. And if they like them, they often really go after them. And if not, then they see what players kind of pop up later in the recruiting process in all those states too, but primarily see a lot of those guys coming out of Iowa or Illinois or some of the surrounding states. And so they've been able to get guys from a bunch of different spots because they were in on them so early. Wisconsin's another spot they've started recruiting a little bit more with Tim Polisek coming in. But So that's why you see a wide berth of things there. They're still recruiting Florida good. They just, This class, nobody committed early there. They're still in on some guys there, so I wouldn't be surprised if a player or two ends up from Florida in this class. Texas, though, was a Greg Davis thing and Bobby Kennedy thing where they kind of put a lot of effort and resources there because that's where those two guys came from. Uh, the old offensive coordinator and wide receiver coach, both are no longer with the program. I would be surprised if Iowa hits Texas as hard upcoming in the next couple of years as it has in the past three or four years, simply because they don't have as many guys on staff with connections in that state as they used to. Let's talk a little bit about playing time and then the impact of the early signing period. Ten true freshmen in each of the last two classes have played in their true freshman year for Iowa, and you can see the impact they're having this year in particular. It's the most recent in our memory, obviously. So of the kids that they have commits from or the offers out to right now where there's a decent possibility they might get them. Are you likely to see who in that group are most likely to perhaps see some playing time a year down the road? Now I know we're really projecting, but there must be some. Yeah, there's a couple you can probably say a lot of it kind of goes to caveat. You were saying we're so far out. Who knows who transfers, who develops in the spring 
spring, but one name I would keep an eye on is Dylan Doyle. He's the only linebacker they have in the class. He's the son of a strength coach at Iowa, simply because they're losing all three starters. Iowa's going to need not just guys to start, but they're going to need depth, and linebacker's a spot where you see a lot of guys play on special teams on multiple special teams, and Iowa's not afraid to play a player as a true freshman if special teams is going to be their primary role. They might be a backup at, say, safety or linebacker or tight end, but if the bulk of their snaps come on special teams and that's how they help the team, they're willing to play them. So if Dylan comes in and shows the ability to play from day one in camp, that's a player who could play because of the positional need and the impact it has on special teams. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the wide receivers ends up playing early simply because a playmaker comes in, makes plays in camp. It can be hard to keep them off the field. That's exactly what happened with Amir Smith-Marset this year. So maybe Tracy or Evans does too. And you always have the opportunity of somebody stepping up in the secondary. I don't really know if Johnson or Brent or Terry Roberts out of um, Pennsylvania would be the guy to do it. But that's another position group I think you, you have a good shot of seeing somebody playing from day one. Of course, you lose Akram Wadley, and you've got a kid who's getting more attention out of Green Bay. Might he have a chance? Henry Gill could. He's put it, let's start there with him. He looks to be the kind of three-star, kind of under-the-radar recruit that Iowa lands that kind of makes this program go. The kid's putting together a heck of a scene senior season. Um, as we're recording this last week, he rushed for 142 yards for his Wisconsin high school team. He already has 1,270 yards and 14 yards rushing this year. So he looks like a potential playmaker for Iowa. He's 6'1", 203 pounds, looks to be not necessarily a LaShawn Daniels bruiser, not necessarily as athletic as Akram Wadley, but I think he's probably closer to that Akram side than the kind of bruiser side. The thing with Iowa and running back for next year is you do lose Wadley, you will lose James Ball. There could be a shot there, but you also have four players there right now who are underclassmen who are going to be vying for playing time, too. Torn Young and Kelly Ivory Martin are already getting reps at running back right now. I think those two would be the first two names you would throw out for running back next year. And then you have Tokes Akinabata, who played as a true freshman last year, and you have Keyshawn Bryan, who is a freshman this year, who is redshirting. So you already have a lot of numbers in front of the mix for Henry to kind of earn playing time. You'd have to jump some guys. It could be very well happen, but it would take a lot for him to kind of impress them and then also impress them more than some of those other guys. The impact of the early signing period. I know Kirk has favored that for a long time. It seemed like the coaches who were most opposed are the haves, the true haves, the royalty of college football, if you will, the Saban in Alabama and Ohio State wasn't for it. And, and some of the bigger name programs like that, who I think used to try to poach players away commitments from other schools when things changed around at the last minute. That not that where the early signing period should really come in and benefit schools like Iowa? I actually, I don't know, because Iowa does its fair share of poaching, too. Everybody picks on the guy lower than them on the totem pole. Um, yeah, Alabama came in late and tried to swipe Tristan Wirfs about a week before signing day from Iowa. Um, that happens every year with a bigger name program and somebody in a Power 5. I was able to take guys out of MAC programs and turn them into Desmond King, so it works both ways. I'm interested to see how it works out this year, but what I think it's going to do in the long run is we have a December signing period and we still have that February one. And I think it's going to turn out a lot like basketball is because almost everybody signs in the November basketball period.
period and in the spring one, the only people that are left are late bloomers or guys who are so good, a team's going to hold a scholarship for them after that November signing period. So think your five stars, your AJ Epineza, your impact players, a Tristan Wirf, a Wagner in this class. I think everybody's going to push their players who are committed to sign in the December period. And those that don't are going to tip their hand that they might not go there. And the team may then withdraw the offer for them because they didn't sign in the period that they accepted for them. Because, hey, maybe if you're in Iowa, the Ohio State comes calling. Maybe if you're a kid whose best offer is Western Michigan and Iowa and Minnesota now come calling, maybe you hesitate. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think you're going to get most people out of the way in early December, and then you're going to have some people that are left over who either are truly uncommitted and will make their decision late, and you'll have some guys that'll come in along with them who no one thought was going to be on the board because they were committed elsewhere and then didn't sign in November. And so I think you'll have a smaller pool of people available in December and January for what is typically, you know, a sprint for everybody to try to sign. But I think what you're basically going to see in the long term is the way February signing day is now will eventually become December. What if we're still doing this when we're 50? It would be nice to have that kind of job security. It'll be a short punt as Colton Rastetter will try to pin Illinois back as deep as he can. It's the first punt we've had for either team, oddly enough, and it's a fake! It's a fake, and they got the first down! Amani Hooker took the football for 18 yards, and Iowa keeps it. Well, who says Iowa's not tricky? Amani Hooker had an interception earlier for Iowa. 18 yards there. So now we've had two trick plays in the kicking game by Iowa. Onside kick, fake punt. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. (laughs) How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our Reporter's Notebook segment this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the home win over Illinois, and he previews this Saturday's Northwestern game discussing Iowa's punch list for success in Evanston. Steve, we have Iowa coming off its bye week, but before we talk about the Northwestern game this coming Saturday, let's think all the the way back nearly two weeks ago to the Hawkeyes 45 to 16 win over Illinois at Kinnick Stadium they needed that one and they finally got the offense back on track even though it was against a pretty poor Illinois team it, it took a while for things to get going but yeah in the second half there there seemed to be a little traction there particularly with the run game which I think is probably encouraging a little more cohesion maybe up front you know the addition of, of, of Tristan Orfs to the lineup at a tackle spot I think uh, has allowed Welsh to move back in get a little more comfortable at guard and it just seemed like Iowa kind of gained some confidence and a little momentum as that game progressed and uh, you know certainly Illinois is, is uh, you know a woeful football team at this point and uh, but uh, you know it, it was a successful endeavor for Iowa and, and uh, you know something that uh, kind of sent a team which had lost its first two Big Ten games as well uh, into 
the bye week with at least a little momentum. Of course, the real spark, I think, in that game came when Brandon Snyder, returning after only a six-month absence from his ACL injury, had that 89-yard pick six. It stopped a potential Illinois go-ahead scoring drive and really not only ignited the crowd, but his own team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think he brought a lot uh, beyond that to the secondary as well. And uh, Phil Parker alluded to this a little bit during the bye week that, you know, the, the experience that Brandon gained a, a year ago as a starter uh, uh, was pretty apparent almost from the moment he stepped on the field. And, and uh, just in terms of improved communication and, and cohesion on the back end of the defense. And, you know, I think that's going to be very important moving forward for Al. And certainly I think that uh, his return certainly energized uh, a lot of people on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, when he, when he was able to, to run that one back 89 yards, it was a, you know, a, a smart play by him. Uh, and, and certainly uh, something that uh, Iowa needed to, at that moment to kind of shake an Illinois team, which actually played fairly well in the first half of that game, and uh, you know, score late in the first half, kind of uh, you know, turn that worm a little bit, and and uh, Snyder's uh, score certainly uh, only added to the Illini's issues. Turning to this Saturday now, it's key Big Ten West Division game for both of these schools, Iowa and Northwestern, an 11 a.m. kickoff at Ryan Field in Evanston. It's certainly, I think, fair to say that this is an elimination game in terms of any hopes either of these two teams have to contend for the West Division title because whoever loses this will have three losses. Iowa's coming off their bye week and on the road Kirk Ferentz coach teams aren't very successful coming off the bye weeks. They're only two and seven and as we go through the punch list here today a couple of key questions come to mind for me. How much progress will the Hawkeyes have both offensively and defensively coming off their bye week and especially in terms of running the ball and stopping the run. And the second thing, it might be a large determinant of who wins this game, is will either of these two teams get off to a fast start because neither one has all season long? No, both of these teams have been outscored in the first quarter. And, and uh, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, in Iowa's case, you can kind of see it a little bit because of the youth in, in a lot of positions and, and just some of the injuries that Iowa's had to deal with uh, across that front five offensively. But uh, Northwestern... Uh, certainly I think qualifies as probably one of the bigger disappointments in the Big Ten this season just because that cohesion hasn't been there uh, given the number of starters that, that the Wildcats had coming back from a year ago and uh, it's been a, uh, a little bit of a frustrating start I think at 3-3 three and three, of course playing Wisconsin and Penn State to open Big Ten play doesn't help things but uh, you know they, they seemingly maybe have things a little bit more on track after the win at Maryland last week but yeah you're right uh, Iowa's ability to, to, uh, to get off to a better start. Uh, Northwestern's hopes to do the same. You know, that'll go a long way probably in determining who uh, who uh, actually ends up winning this thing. Uh, otherwise, it could be an extremely boring first half because both of these teams have, have really ha- had trouble grinding it out of, out of the shoot. Well, let's go through breaking it down. Let's look at the punch list. Iowa's offense versus Northwestern's defense. One of the most interesting statistics so far this season has been Iowa's ability to outscore their opponents late in the game, 70 to 20 in the fourth quarter. Nate Stanley's now got his 15 touchdowns 
touchdown passes, including three through against Illinois. Only two picks. I think Kirk would be very happy and Brian with that ratio if that holds through the rest of the season. And Akram Wadley continues to do things. Broke back out against Illinois, now 10th all-time in Iowa history. And those are obviously your keys for this Saturday's game. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, when you take a look at uh, at Iowa, I think it's it's an interesting mix of, of, of run and pass that has kind of developed this season. Uh, certainly, I think that uh, the run game has, has not had quite the traction that, that everybody anticipated it would. And, uh, you know, it certainly hasn't been any any fault of, of Akram. I think he's had a, had a nice season so far. You know, the holes were certainly there against Illinois that maybe had been missing the previous two weeks against very good defenses from, from Michigan State and Penn State. But, uh, uh, you know, this is a type of, of uh, Iowa team that if it's going to be successful down the, run, the stretch run here, it's going to have to be able to run the football a little more effectively. 3.7 yards of carry right now doesn't cut it, and it won't cut it moving forward. Uh, the Hawkeyes are going to have to find a way to get a little more uh, consistent success uh, on the ground if they hope to, you know, to deal with uh, some of the uh, some of the teams that they've still got left on their schedule. Northwestern has uh, some interesting stats. So they've actually been pretty successful stopping the run. They're only giving up 3.4 yards per rush and 126 yards on the ground against teams this season. That's even better than Iowa's defense. This is a team, yeah, that does have some veterans back. They're, they're very big up front. Uh, like Iowa, they will rotate eight guys on that defensive line. It's a defense that uh, you know has had some uh, um, some issues at times, um, and, and certainly the opponents have had something to do with that. But uh, you know, it, it seems to be making a little more you know, a little headway heading into into the second half of the season. Uh, they've been a little more effective in in, in becoming disruptive uh, in recent weeks. Uh, they had uh, nine tackles for a loss at Maryland. They they've done a good job of getting to the quarterbacks uh, uh, lately. Uh, they, they had seven sacks against Trace McSorley from Penn State. Uh, five sacks, excuse me, against Trace McSorley. And two two last week against Maryland. Uh, so this is a defense that's kind of ratcheted up its intensity the last couple of weeks. It's an experienced group, uh, a group that has kind of struggled at times early on, but it seems to be getting it back together and looking more like a, a Northwestern defense that uh, we've seen in, in, in recent years. They've had a couple of issues with targeting calls and, and lost a couple of players last week for the first half of that Maryland game. But they're led in tackles by a first-year linebacker named Patty Fisher. He should be playing for Notre Dame with a name like that. And got a solid junior linebacker in Nate Hall. Who else on defense should Iowa fans look for in terms of the better players from the Northwestern side? Yeah, Sam Dub Miller is a, is a defensive end. He's, he's another first-year guy. He, he's been uh, one of those guys who's kind of ramped it up in, in terms of being able to, to get into uh, people's backfields, that kind of thing. You've got a couple of veterans uh, in the secondary in, in uh, Montre, Montre Harge, Harge and uh, Godwin Iwabuke, who seems like he's been around forever, but uh, um, you know he, he's, a, he's an, an ex, one of the Big Ten's better safeties, and I think that if you take a look at it, it kind of where things are going with them, those two guys along with uh, with Nate Hall, who, who's another guy that uh, lines up at a, at a linebacker spot. He's a junior uh, that, that are 
there are potential uh, issues for Iowa and, 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 you know, players that they're going to have to contend with. Iguabuque was second-team All-Big Ten last year already. This season he has 40 tackles, a sack, five passes defended, and a forced fumble. They've been successful at getting at opposing quarterbacks on the season. They've already had 13 sacks for 79 yards. That, you know, you normally don't think of a Northwestern defense as getting that much pressure on opposing quarterbacks. It's been part of their game kind of off and on. They're, they're, they're a little like Iowa in, in that they're not necessarily uh, always on the attack in, the, in that mode, but uh, this is something I think that uh, going back a couple of weeks, uh, uh, they felt like uh, it was something maybe they could do to kind of spark things and get things going, and, and, and certainly I think that, uh, um, you know, with, with guys like, uh, uh, you know, Hall and, and uh, UK, that, that they've, they've been able to, to kind of make that work for them, and I, I think that that's, uh, you know, something that uh, moving forward, I think that's going to be a big part of what they try to accomplish. During the bye week press conference when we heard from Phil Parker and Brian Ferentz, Brian very admirably took much of the blame for any problems his offense has had in his first season as a play caller. Among other things, though, he talked about trying to maybe throw more passes over the middle and, you know, obviously talked about the running game and, and maybe trying to get back into a situation earlier in the season before James Butler went down with the injury of getting Wadley in the slot or getting him more touches in the ball, but not necessarily right out of the backfield as the running back. Yeah, and I, I think that's something we may see a little more of moving forward here. It certainly, I think, is something that they initially tr- wanted to do and, and, and were having, a, you know, flirting with a little bit before Butler went down. And you know, now that he's back, um, you know, we'll find out here in a couple of weeks, you know, how effective he can be with that brace on, on the right elbow. And it's going to be a bit of an adjustment, but I do think if he gets back on the field, I certainly think that becomes, uh, you know, a more effective and more probable part of Iowa's offensive arsenal um i i think you know the the two newcomers uh, in in kelly martin and and uh, and torn young i think as well um you know can help open some things there too and i think the bye week probably has provided iowa with a little a little bit of a chance to to kind of maybe see how those two guys might mix in to kind of free acrim up to go out to the slot or you know potentially uh, you know we, we we've seen Kelly Martin, you know, catch four passes so far for Iowa. Uh, you know, there's some possibilities there that uh, uh, they may have toyed with a little bit here over the past couple of weeks. The other thing that Iowa has to correct, and both Kirk and Brian talked about this, are the turnovers, primarily the fumbles. Iowa's fumbled the ball already 14 times and lost nine of those. And while the turnover margin is zero for the Hawkeyes, you can't afford in the way they run their offense to lose nine fumbles through the first six games. Yeah, I was straight traditionally has been on to be on the plus side of that number and you know they were playing from behind on that almost right out of the shoot this season it, uh, it's something they've kind of clawed their way back but uh, you know the fumbles uh, on the most part a lot of them frankly have, have been unforced errors they've been you know guys maybe trying to stretch for an extra yard or two uh, you know you think particularly of, of uh, Brandon Smith and, and also of Ira Kelly Martin have had a, have have lost a, a fumble with uh, with that Nate Stanley has had a couple of unforced uh, uh, drops that, uh, you know, those are the types of things that when the games are close and when the margin is tight, they're going to get you beat. And uh, it's a type of thing that Iowa has been able to kind of withstand to this point so far. But uh, moving forward, uh, it's something certainly that, uh, you know, they they need to see growth and progress there. And some of that is just playing a little smarter and playing a little more veteran, which these guys are now that they've had five or six games to kind of become accustomed to, to ex- what the experience is like to be out there. After 
After this break, Steve talks the punch list for Iowa's defense and special teams. Plus, we talk some Big Ten. A 44-16 advantage. Tyler Wieger's not the best pass on second down. Comes back, completes this one. Some redemption for Kelly Barton, who fumbled earlier in the game. Now he's in the end zone. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You you can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. We're back with Steve Batterson. Now we're going to turn to the punch list for Iowa's defense against Northwestern's offense. Northwestern's goal, or one of their primary goals on offense, certainly is to basically create mass confusion for opposing defenses. They run all those underneath crossing routes. The Iowa defensive players this week at the Tuesday media availability talked a lot about how critical communication is in the backfield, the defensive backfield, for the linebackers and the defensive backs and safeties in terms of being successful against that kind of offensive approach by the Wildcats. Yeah, it's certainly one of the more aggressive approaches that, that Iowa will see during the course of this season. And it's been something that's been pretty effective for Northwestern. And they have the pieces to do it right now. That's that's a, a, a big part of it. I think when you take a look at, at you know a quarterback like Clayton Thorson and, and a running back like Justin Jackson, and you blend them in with, with you know some of the receivers that they have, including Riley Lees, who's, who's a first-year guy that's coming on pretty strong too lately. They've got some guys it can kind of, uh, you know, create a little havoc in the middle, and and it, it does put pressure on the defense. Uh, you know, it, it puts a premium on on you know remaining as you know assignment sound, as I like to say, and and uh, and communicating. And and I think the return of Brandon Snyder there at at, uh, at a free safety spot, I think, is beneficial from that uh, from that standpoint. He has experience, and and I think that that's something that uh, you know Phil Parker certainly touched on a week ago that uh, that had been lacking to a degree. Uh, uh, in the previous five games, and and uh, you know, I think that's just uh, it's a, it's not unlike Josie Jewell in the middle. It, it, it's just another veteran body that that can kind of you know direct traffic there and and uh, be able to kind of dissect and and, uh, and and communicate what they're seeing very quickly. And both of those guys are really good at that. Last week at Maryland, Northwestern had 531 yards of total offense, 
73 passing. It was their third 500-plus yard game of the year, and in their three wins, their three and three, as you noted, they're averaging 572.3 yards of total offense and 39 points per game. And in their three losses, they're not, and that's <laughs> that's kind of been the issue for Northwestern because they're only averaging a little over 400 yards a game as a team. Uh, so that tells you that there's been a, a pretty good swing from production to no production when uh, uh, from one week to the next. And you know, this is a Northwestern offense that is very potent. I mean, they certainly, uh, you know, Iowa saw got a good dose of that last year with with both what uh, Jackson accomplished. I think rushing for 171 yards, and, and Thorson had a big game through the air. And uh, you know, that combination is uh, is what they count on to be effective. And if both of those guys are on top of their game, they can be a very difficult team to kind of defend because teams have to respect Jackson's rushing ability. And yet you've still got to, uh, you know, that buys Thorson a little time to kind of pick you apart with, with his arm. And that's, uh, that's one of the bigger challenges the Hawkeyes are going to have to deal with this week. He's another true dual threat uh, quarterback. And last week was an example. He completed 27 of 49 passes for 293 yards and one passing touchdown at Maryland. And he rushed for 43 yards and also had an 18 yard rushing touchdown. And, and you've mentioned their wide receivers. He spreads that wealth around. Yeah, they, they have four receivers with over 20 receptions on the on the year. Flynn Nagel is the guy that uh, leads them with 22, but uh, he's got a lot of uh, targets out there. And, and, you know, and some of that is, is the chaos that they like to create with those crossing routes and everything. Uh, you know, it opens some things up. And, and, you know, if the defense isn't sharp, if it's not uh, playing where it's supposed to be, Thorson, you know, now in his junior year, you know, he's got the experience to pick pick apart a defense when uh, when he's on top of his game, and and he was a little closer to being that last week. Some of that, I think, has had to do with cohesion that they've had issues with on the offensive line as well, and, and certainly I think that uh, Pat Fitzgerald talked a little bit following the Maryland game about how he felt that that was his front five's best effort of the season uh, and something to build on heading into this week. And it's not just his four wide receivers, Justin Jackson and their superback Cam Green are real threats out of the backfield. Yeah, absolutely. Jackson's got 21 catches. He, I mean, he's just been a pain in everybody's side here for four years. Became their all-time leading rusher last week. Uh, but he can do a, a lot with the football. And, and uh, um, you know, not unlike Akram Wadley, he, he's one of those guys who's been around. He's just kind of quietly went about his business. And, and he's been very effective. And, and unlike Wadley, he, this kid's had a chance to be on the field for, for several years. And, and uh, in, in that lead, you know, back kind of role. But he, he's a very effective pass catcher. And, and you know, certainly Cam Green, he's got 11 uh, receptions. He moved to that position uh, from a from a receiver spot uh, in, in part because of his physical size. They felt that he was uh, had the body that could move into that super back role that they like, and and uh, it's been a pretty effective marriage so far. I thought it was interesting. The Wildcats are 19 and four when Justin Jackson rushes for more than 100 yards, and he's done that 23 times now, including last year against Iowa when he just destroyed him, 170 yards rushing and one touchdown. Northwestern's had a, cons- a lot of success in the red zone this season. They were 5-5 five of five last week. They're 22 of 24 overall, and 18 of those 22 scores have been touchdowns. Yeah, they, they've produced. When they get inside the 20, they've, they've done something that Iowa has been very good at, at, at you know denying. They've put six on the board, and, and some of that I think has to do with just the, kind of the depth of their receiving core and also uh, just the skill and ability of a back like Jackson who, who can uh, can, do, can beat you a lot of ways. And, and I think that uh, one of those things that uh, you know will be important for the Iowa defense heading into this game 
is, is you know, they're going to have to kind of maintain that uh, the ability to kind of shut people down in the red zone. That's been, uh, you know, something that Iowa has been effective with. They've been able to kind of hold people to three. Uh, Northwestern's got a young freshman kicker who's been pretty successful as well. But, uh, you know, I think that it's one of those things that, uh, um, yeah, if you get them inside the 20, they're usually going to find a way to put points on the board. I think it's 22 out of 26 trips in there that they've scored uh, one way or another. Now, they do have two negatives offensively. They've had uh, turnover issues. They've lost five fumbles, been picked nine times. Their turnover margin is minus six. Their offensive line play has been inconsistent. They've already given up 20 sacks this year, although they only gave up one last week at Maryland. 16 of those sacks they surrendered in their three losses, four in their three wins, but their 20 sacks they've given up has cost them 154 yards. Yeah, it's, you know, those are drive killers, and uh, that's something that, um, you know, it's been a point of emphasis the last couple of weeks, and and, uh, certainly last week it seemed to be improved. Uh, You know, some of that had to do with with the fact that they weren't lining up against Penn State or Wisconsin, but um, but it was a sign of growth, and and certainly, you know, I I think when you look at at Thorson's numbers, the fact that he has, you know, eight touchdown passes and nine interceptions on the season, and that's not the ratio you want out of out of a veteran quarterback and uh he's he's been uh, operating under some duress this season and uh, you know i would i would suspect that i will try to make uh things a little interesting for him as well uh, i think this might be a game where we may see see a little more pressure than what we've seen and and uh, uh you know certainly the hawkeyes are capable of that at times uh they like to pick their spots in, in terms of when they use it but uh, i certainly think that they uh, uh this may be one of those spots and you mentioned earlier obviously critical for Iowa will be the play of their three starting linebackers, including Jewell, who continues to lead the Big Ten by a lot, a 70 tackles so far this season. But the play overall, other than a, a few instances in the last couple of games, by defensive back Joshua Jackson has been pretty solid, and he's he's right up there in a several key Big Ten stats. You mentioned the return of Brandon Snyder and the play of Amani Hooker is also being critical to, to the success Iowa's defense needs in this game. It's going to be interesting to see how much better Josh Jackson can kind of get over the over the remainder of the season. He's got eight pass breakups all season, which ranks among the, the best in the Big Ten. And you know he's close to some picks. And uh, uh, you know I think as he gains more experience, I think he's good, probably going to figure out how to to kind of wrap his arms around a few more of those balls. But uh, yeah, it, it is it's a group that uh, you know has played pretty well and is going to need to play pretty well because Northwestern has not been bashful about putting the ball in the air. They kept themselves in that Wisconsin game by throwing it, I, think, I believe it was 52 times, something like that in the neighborhood. And, and it, it's uh, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, they will test Iowa secondary and, and uh, you know, the Hawkeyes are going to have to respond. Iowa only has 12 sacks so far this season, but it does have one of the sack leaders in the Big Ten and defensive end Anthony Nelson. He's third with five sacks. So, they you know, they haven't put a lot of pressure. I think you saw Phil Parker talk last week in the bye week press conference about the fact that even for Iowa, uh, their blitzing is down as a as a percentage of the overall defensive snaps. Yeah, he, he normally likes probably about a 17 to 18 percent uh, type number. There, he, he guesstimated last week that they're probably down around 10 right now. It's certainly still part of what they're capable of doing, and I think as, as some of these guys have kind of uh, uh, you know, there's some been some new and moving pieces on on the defense as well, and and I think is certainly that 
uh, as some guys settle in, you know, at the end spots and and uh, you know in the secondary, I think you'll probably see Iowa play a little a uh, little more aggressively moving forward. I think there'll probably be a need to, and I think that uh, they're certainly capable of that. But uh, you know, they've been effective uh, without that. Uh, you know, they're they're uh, you know fifth or so in the Big Ten at 18.7 points per game allowed, and you now that that fills bottom line. If if they're keeping the opponents off the scoreboard and and, and handling a you know allowing only a fair manageable number that gives the offense a chance. I think that he feels like they've they've done their job. And, and, and so far, for the most part, that's been the case. Let's turn to the special teams punch list. Iowa officially has a new starting punter and true freshman Ryan Gersande. And he started apart from the fake punt that Iowa ran against Illinois two weeks ago at Kinnick. The key for him and for the Hawkeyes will be his improvement and ability to develop consistency and distance quickly enough to be a difference maker in field position and immediately who comes to mind as our new regular contributor on Hawkeyes Mike, Iowa's starting punter last year, Ron Caluzzi, who was able to make an enormous difference time after time in field position. Yeah, both both his consistency and where he was delivering the ball and, and just the distance he was delivering it made him a special punter and, and there's no question that uh, he's one of those elements that uh, I think some people took for granted heading into this season and it's been a little bit of a learning experience and for a lot of folks and, and you know I think Colton Rastetter was uh, you know, he struggled with consistency issues, and, and uh, that led to the change that uh, has put uh, Ryan Gersande uh, in, in the lineup. And uh, his average was uh, fairly similar to what Rastetter had offered uh, through the first five games. But uh, weather conditions were a factor, and, and wind was uh, wind was at play that day as well against Illinois. And uh, it will be interesting to kind of see how things develop with him over the next few weeks. And you know, it's like Kirk uh, says quite frequently as a young kid, you're going to have to ride the roller coaster a little bit. Well, you know, last year with Kaluzzi, there was no new guy. It was a veteran guy coming in who, who had a handle on what he was doing. Uh, what we're seeing now are a couple of young guys trying to figure it all out at this level. And, and uh, you know, it, it will be interesting to, to see how much he can improve and grow uh, over these last six games because, uh, you know, I was ability to pin people back defensively and, and to, you know, place the ball inside the 20. And, and get the distance when they need it. Uh, those are pretty important elements to, to certainly help the defense. The defense has done a pretty good job of, of holding up with whatever field it's had to work with. But, uh, you know, it's certainly a, a much nicer thing when they can start back on, on the 14 or 15-yard line. We did learn from Ron Caluzzi initially about the fact that Iowa switched to a newer Nike football, which has a much smaller sweet spot and is way more difficult to kick, particularly punt, uh, than the ball that they used last year and we've solved the mystery last Tuesday when uh, Nate Stanley admitted it was he, him and the, his fellow quarterbacks who decided they liked this newer ball better because it was easier to pass with but it has been an issue for the punters transitioning but you have to say you've got everything you could have possibly wanted pretty much out of Miguel Racinos in his first year as a starting place kicker 20 of 20 PATs 5 of 6 field goals most of his kickoffs speaking of field position deep in the end zone for touchbacks or limited returns. He's done a really nice job and, and uh, you know, for, for uh, someone whose experience had been fairly, lim- fairly limited, um, you know, he, he's delivered. And uh, um, I go back to Preste and in and, and talking with, with Keith 
Duncan at that at that time. He, he said that uh, um, he really felt that Racino was was going to be the be the kickoff guy at that point without question because of the consistency uh, of both his placement and and just the strength of his leg. And he said that he'd been booming him um, all summer long, and that certainly has continued into the season. Uh, he's been very accurate with his with his PATs and, and his field goal attempts as well. You know, he's had a couple uh, learning opportunities as well along the way, but it, it, they haven't been overly costly for the Hawkeyes to this point and I, I think it's uh, you know they're, they're getting uh, as much as you could hope to get out of a first year guy in that position. Before we get your prediction let's turn quickly to the Big Ten. Uh, some interesting results last week Michigan barely getting out of Bloomington Indiana and finally winning in overtime down there 27 to 20. Wisconsin sluggish offensively in spite of some good offensive stats held off Purdue 17 to 9 and Madison. It's an a big win for Wisconsin in that context in terms of the West. Ohio State just humiliated Nebraska in Lincoln, uh, and Michigan State slapped the third Big Ten loss on Minnesota. Yeah, you know, certainly Michigan State continues to, to uh, you know, be fairly impressive. Uh, they, they did give up three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter to the Gophers to make that score look a little closer than probably what the game actually was over the over the course of things. Uh, um, you know, Nebraska's continued struggles, uh, uh, you know, some of that obviously inflicted by, uh, by schedule issues as well, but Ohio State and Wisconsin have handled them pretty pretty well the last couple of weeks. You know, I think we're finding out that Purdue's going to be a pretty solid football team over the course of the season. They certainly started the year with, uh, you know, giving Louisville some problems early on, and, and I think that, uh, you know, Jeff Brown's team has, has done a good job of, of, of kind of gaining confidence and, and gaining a little bit of momentum uh, you know the winds may not totally be you know what he expects down the road over the course of the season but certainly they're going to be competitive and uh, you know they proved that last week at Wisconsin Badgers are a little beaten up right now uh, they were also coming in off a big win at Nebraska so there was probably a little emotional situation there too but uh, um, you know it, Wisconsin right now is sitting with a two-game lead in, in you know in, in the west and and uh, you know it's going to be up to a few teams to find a way to, to uh, you know bring them back to the pack but uh, you know at this point uh, you know, they're, they're where they want to be at, at the midpoint of the season. Now, this weekend's games, there's not a lot that set your pants on fire in terms of excitement. But you have Iowa at Northwestern. We already talked about that. It's, in a sense, a Big Ten West elimination game. Perhaps the most interesting game this weekend in Big Ten play is Michigan at Penn State. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, uh, Michigan absolutely handled Penn State a year ago. Uh, you know, Penn State uh, is currently, you know, sitting there at 6-0, and uh, ranked second in the country. It's a whiteout at, in at Beaver Stadium, which is Iowa found uh, out a year ago is, is a challenging environment. But, uh, you know, it, this is going to really test a, a pretty high-powered Penn State offense against a, a Michigan defense that ranks first in the country, statistically averaging, you know, giving up about 238 yards a game. Uh, Indiana, I think, had 278 last week against them in overtime, and, and that was the most yards that Michigan has allowed this season in a game. So, uh, it's good going to be a test for, for uh, Trace McSorley and, and Saquon Barkley. Uh, it's it certainly, uh, you know, it's got a, it's got a lot of intrigue, and, and there's a reason they're playing that one in prime time. Back to Iowa at Northwestern. This series has an intensity level to it that is really heightened, particularly since Pat Fitzgerald, who happens to be number two in seniority in the Big Ten head coaches right now, and it's been kind of a hard game to predict. So what's your sense? Yeah, I, I think it's a hard game to predict. 
quick tonight. I think uh, what you have is a, I, I think that you have two teams that are that are uh, as you alluded to. Uh, you know, this this is kind of elimination week for for one of these two teams in terms of the division race. And you know, I I, I like Iowa going over there. I, I think that uh, you know there certainly was a little momentum to be gained. Uh, my my question would be on the consistency of the offense. If Iowa can build off of that second half of of, of what uh, of the Illinois game, I think that they'll have a chance to to move the ball on the Wildcats. Um, I, I think uh, you know stopping Northwestern uh, will be an issue. It was a year ago. I think that uh, um, Iowa probably has a little better handle. I don't think Iowa played particularly well against the Wildcats a year ago. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say at this point, I think it'll be a uh, you know a fairly high scoring game for for Big Ten standards. Um, I, I'm looking probably at a 35-31 score, and I, I guess at this point I'm, I'll, I'll go with Iowa just uh, for no other reason than, than I think that uh, you know I think Akram Wadley uh, will, will have a big day against the Wildcats. That was brilliant. In front of the homecoming crowd at Kinnick Stadium as the Hawkeyes outscore Illinois 35-3 to in the last 31 minutes of this game. Kirk Ferentz gets his 139th win in his 19th season. Iowa getting the return to the ground game, 191 yards rushing, 250 through the air. Iowa with four takeaways in this game, passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, and the pick six. It all adds up to a 45 to 16 Iowa win. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to BTN for the game highlights this week. Thanks, as always, to Steve Batterson. And thanks to special guest Bobby Lejess. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com. Podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 11 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike, LLC.